Welcome to Practical Christian Living. The days of Noah were days when there was a lot of demonic activity. I believe that today there's a lot of demonic activity. I believe a lot of the demonic activity. The Bible said that a day would come when people would call right wrong and wrong right. And I believe that we're seeing demonic activity and people doing the very same thing. As we continue through our series in 1 Peter, we see the reference to the days of Noah, a time when there was much evil on this earth. We are seeing very much the same thing today. Sin and the evil that comes with it are becoming more of a norm in today's world. But we know that our God, who is long-suffering and merciful, will, in His perfect timing, return for those who are ready and waiting for Him. Here's part two of 1 Peter 3, 13 through 22 with Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. Genesis chapter six says that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and took them as wives and had children with them and the Nephilim were born unto them. There was a race that was born to the sons of God and the daughters of men. The sons of God is a reference to angels. Now, I'm not saying we've got all the information. If you're looking for every hole to be patched in what happened, we don't have it all. Were these demon-possessed men who were somehow altered physically to have an offspring that was different, that married women and had brought forth a race that was unredeemable and that's why God had to destroy the world? Was Satan trying to contaminate the seed that had been promised that would crush the head of the serpent? by somehow intermarrying with some demonically induced kind of a creature that God finally destroyed the entire world except for eight souls that he saved by water? Again, we don't have all of the pictures. I don't know whether it was a demon-possessed person or whether it was demons taking on human form because the Bible says that some entertain angels unaware. And you say, well, can angels take on that form and have sex with women? Is that a possibility? Well, if they did... They are kept in chains. And if they entered into someone and had sex with them and produced this race that had Nephilim with it, then they were kept in chains as well unto the day of judgment. Now it says long suffering until the days of Noah. And that reminds me of Jesus saying, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be when the son of man returns. The days of Noah were days when there was a lot of demonic activity. I believe that today there's a lot of demonic activity. The Bible said that a day would come when people would call right, wrong, and wrong, right. And I believe that we're seeing demonic activity and people doing the very same thing. The Bible also says that during those days, violence covered the earth. The innocent were suffering. And God looked down upon the human race and said, I'm judging them. And God brought judgment and wiped the earth out by water. And how many people died, how many people suffered, including these Nephilim that were there. And I think of our world today, and I think of the suffering and the violence in our world today. And I think of the way that people put their fingers in their ears and cover up their eyes and don't want to hear about the violence that is happening in our world. And I'm not talking about people being beheaded, as horrible as that is. I'm not talking about ISIS or battles that are taking place. How many countries are at war right now? People, men and women are dying. Women are being raped. Children are being raped all around the world. It's taking place, but all around the world as well. 
there are babies that are being killed in the womb all around the world. I listened to a podcast on bullfighting a few days ago. What they do to the bull in order to weaken the bull to fight the matador. Because if they don't weaken the bull, the matador doesn't have a chance. And you know how the picadors go out and they, they jab the bull? All those are, are there to weaken the bull. So by the time the matador comes out, it can look like it. he's really impressive. And it's pretty brutal. But while I listen to these men explain bullfighting, knowing that they believe that abortion is okay, I found myself getting a little angry that they would be so offended at the way a bull is treated. And I'm not saying a bull should be treated that way. I'm offended at it too. I'm just not as offended as when a baby that is 27 weeks along or 29 weeks along that can live outside of the womb. If you take that baby and it is prematurely born, you can legally kill it if it's in the womb. But if it is born, you will be put in jail for murder if you kill it. And why is it okay to put instruments into the womb and literally rip the body of the baby apart? A baby being pulled apart. And why is it okay? And why do we say, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to talk about it. Somebody said to me a while back, why do you talk about abortion so much? I don't. I don't talk about it enough. People say, if I were alive when Hitler was alive, I wouldn't have let the Holocaust take place. If I was alive, I would have put a stop to it. Do you know that there were towns right next to the different places where the Holocaust took place? Right next to them. Do you know that when the American soldiers went in, that they went in and saw the atrocities in Ravenbrook and the other places, and that they went and took soldiers they had captured and killed them? because of the atrocities that they had seen? Do you know that Patton went into a nearby town and brought them out and brought them through so that they would see the atrocities so they could no longer cover their eyes and say that these things had not happened in their midst? Do you know there's a huge movement in Germany today to say that it never happened and never took place? That doesn't surprise me because people today don't want to admit it. They don't want us to say anti-abortion or pro-abortion. They don't want us to say you're pro-abortion. They want us to say you're pro-choice. It's a woman's right to choose. You can paint it whatever color you want to paint it. A woman's right to choose is a woman's right to take the life that's in her. They're killing all across the United States, 40 million plus since 1973, Roe versus Wade. The majority of the babies that have been killed have been women, girls. And when you put that into the context of the world, which I'm not just concerned about abortion in the United States. I'm concerned and appalled with abortion around the world. Billions of babies have been killed. And don't hide behind, try not to, I'll tell you, I won't tell you don't do it. It's very difficult to hide behind the incest and the rape argument because very few of those billions of babies were results of incest and rape. You can hide behind it if you want to. You can justify it that way if you want to. But it's very hard to do it. But around the world, the majority of babies that are killed are women, girls, because of sex selection. Because they're using abortion as a way to select male babies. It's our world that we live in. If anybody ought to fight for the life of a child before it's born, it ought to be women. And the majority of babies killed in America are minority babies. 
That's where the abortion clinics are put. And for every baby that's, that's aborted, there's a young girl or a young woman that is there as well. And these young women are not being told the truth. They're being mistreated as well. I've said before that if all we cared about was the babies and didn't care for these girls, didn't come and help them in an awful, horrible crisis time in their lives, that we would be hypocrites. We've got to care as much about these girls as we do about the babies. We've got to be able to come along and make a difference in their life as well. Not just condemn them for a baby being killed, but actually do something, whatever that might be. Now, we support Hands of Hope, which is a crisis pregnancy center at the church because about one baby a day is saved in Tucson. It's small compared to what goes on in Tucson, but it's something. And I believe that the preaching of the gospel changes things. Years ago, I had a gal come up and say, I was in the parking lot of an abortion clinic with an appointment and I turned on my radio and it just happened to be you talking about abortion. Just happened to be me talking about abortion. And she brought her child up, just a baby, eight or nine years ago now. She brought him up 18 years old. Just again, just being able to see that God can intervene. And we think, what can I do? It's just so awful. It's so horrible. And people don't want to talk about it today. And it's not even politicized anymore. It's just people don't want to talk about it. What can I do? Listen, it's a battle that may take hundreds of years. If Jesus tarries, it's a battle that will take hundreds of years. But we are right. And because we are right, we will win. The same thing is true about slavery. Slavery was justified by people for hundreds of years. And when the abolition movement started, it took them hundreds of years to outlaw slavery. And in 1830-ish, the majority of Americans believed that slavery should be the law of the land. And if you knew what they did to those slaves, if you knew the children that were raped and the women that were raped and the men that were killed and the families that were torn apart because of slavery, you would be appalled. And we want to say in our day as well, we would have been against it. We would have stood against it. Do you know that President Lincoln believed that he was called to stop it? And do you know that he didn't run on an anti-slavery platform? All he did was run on the platform that the new states would not be slave states. He wasn't going to make the southern states not be slave states. There were, southern, there were slave states and there were non-slave states in the north. All he was saying was that the new states, Montana, Arizona, the Cal California, were not going to be slave states. And he ran on that platform. And when he got elected, it was enough to really cause a battle. He didn't take it on straight on, but he did take it on and he lost his life because of it. His life was taken because of it. And he never really saw it happen. He, he signed the law, but he never really saw it happen. His life was taken before it happened. It was hundreds of years. And then think about how long it was from when, when were the slaves freed? Was it 65 or 56? I can never remember. It switched around in my mind. But it took from then until the mid-60s and 1900s, till 1960s, before black people really were given their civil rights. And think of all the atrocities that happened from the time that the slaves were set free and then they were made working slaves. Then the plantation owners that were able to remain made conditions worse for them because they had had their slaves taken away from them. And think about all of the things that happened and all of the lynchings and all of the KKK things and everything that happened in that hundred years. Still racism lurks today, but nowhere near what it did during that time. It was a long battle. And what I'm saying to you folks 
Is this battle against abortion, against this evil, against this wickedness in our day where babies who can feel are being burned to death in the womb, babies that can feel are being pulled apart and cut apart in the womb, and people have no compassion for the innocent. And I'm saying that this battle will not be a short battle. It is not for the faint of heart. It is not for the weak. It is for us who will say, Lord, help me to know what to do. Let me do something. God, use me in some way to make a difference in our lives for these atrocities that are taking place. I am not saying that abortion should become our battle over the gospel. The gospel is the greatest battle that we have. And quite frankly, lives are changed by the gospel and babies are saved because of the preaching of the gospel. But I am also saying that we will be held responsible for the wicked in our day. If you believe that the people in Hitler's day that saw those things happen and plugged their eyes and ears and they didn't do it, but they didn't do anything about it either. They never spoke about it. If you believe that they're responsible and if you believe that those who lived in slave states that watched slavery take place and watched the abuses take place, if you believe because they didn't do anything about it, they're responsible, then what does that mean to us? We ought to cry out to God we ought to cry before God. We ought to cry out to God and say, God, show me what I can do, anything that I can do. Again, our greatest call is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our greatest call. But the Bible says that God honors those who rescues the innocent. And is there any more innocent among us? I realize as I talk about this issue, it hits so close to home that so many women have had abortions and I realize it's a very uncomfortable topic to talk about. But I also understand the tremendous forgiveness of God. And that if anybody really ought to say, Lord, what can I do? It ought to be those of you that have been touched by it. And it's not only women that are touched by it, right? It's men as well. And maybe there are men here as well who have pushed a girlfriend or a wife into having an abortion. That this is just as tough of a message to hear as a woman that has had an abortion. The mercies of God are new every morning and they are complete and God can forgive you, but it doesn't change the fact that it's still happening and plugging our ears to it or saying, well, you know, I believe that, you know, rhetoric behind your disguise, your rhetoric lies. You're watching babies die. You can use all the rhetoric you want to use instead of talking about how bullfights work. Maybe we should, you know, you know, you can't, you just can't give information on how abortions work. We can't. You can't buy spots. They won't let you do it. You can't get the information out there. But God's bigger than any of that, isn't he? Satan has his plan. Satan inspires the murders of babies. And God has his plan. And I believe that just as through hundreds of years, slavery was finally overturned. And today, what's the percentage of people in America who say that slavery is okay? In the 1830s, the majority of people believed slavery was a human right. And today, what is there, 1% of freaks who would believe that slavery is okay? Maybe less than 1%. They're out there, right? And the battle was won because slavery's wrong. That's why the battle was won. The battle was won because the right side won. And I believe if God tarries long enough, and I don't know that he will, maybe he'll come back and judge this world for this violence before it, it comes to an end. But I believe that we will win if God tarries long enough because we are right. And you can only hide it for so long. You can only call it something else for so long. You can only take 
the murder of a child and call it the right to choose for so long before you see it for what it is and stop believing the lies, maybe follow the money trail and begin to understand what's involved and what's taking place. Verse 20, who were formerly were disobedient and who were once divine, long-suffering, waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which few, that is, eight souls were saved through water. So there were eight souls that were saved through water. The judgment came upon the earth, but the water came and lifted them up. The water that destroyed them was the water that lifted up the eight. So the eight were saved by water. Now, did the water save them or was it God who directed them to build the boat and get in the boat, the boat representing Jesus Christ that saved them? The water lifted them up in Christ and saved them. But it says here, verse 21, this is also an anti-type. An anti-type is the opposite of a type. You have the type of baptism, which is Noah and his family, and you have an anti-type, which is baptism. That it is a type of a picture of what Noah went through, that you and I are saved. He says there is also an anti-type by which now saves us, baptism. He's not saying that water baptism saves us. Remember that baptism is a term, John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water, but there comes one after me who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So you could be baptized by the Holy Spirit, you could be baptized by fire, and you could be baptized by water. Jesus told James and John, are you able to be baptized in the baptism that I am baptized with? It simply means to be covered. It simply means to be immersed. I was baptized as a baby by a church that believed in baptismal regeneration. They believed that if you baptized a baby, your baby was now saved. Your baby was okay. There are churches in Tucson, big churches, who believe in baptismal regeneration. I'm not talking about babies. I'm talking about adults. They tell people, as long as you get baptized, you're okay. As long as you come up and get dunked, you're okay. But here's the thing. And people say that they, they cite this verse. When Philip was talking to the Ethiopian eunuch, and the Ethiopian eunuch suddenly came to a body of water, and he said, here's some water. What stops me from being baptized? Philip said, nothing if you believe with all of your heart. Baptism can't save you because before you get baptized, you have to believe with all of your heart and that's what saves you. When you are baptized, you are already saved. That's why baptism can't save you. What must I do to be saved? The Philippian jailer said, believe and be baptized and you will be saved. Baptism can't save him because it's the believing that saved him. Baptism was just something that was done and something that we've been commanded to do and that we do as Christians. It is a picture and an awesome identification of the death of Christ and us dying with him and rising with him up out of the water. But it is not salvation. People want it to be salvation because they want to turn it into a work. And so they say, well, if you've been baptized, then you're saved. If you haven't been baptized, you're not saved. Well, what about people who can't get baptized? Oh, well. I doubt if God is saying, oh, well. The thief on the cross said, remember me when you enter into your kingdom? And Jesus said, I tell you, I can't because you can't be baptized. He said, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Someone told me one time about baptism. There are no deathbed conversions. Because you can't be baptized. See, if you can't be baptized, you can't have deathbed conversions. But there are deathbed conversions because it's believing that saves you, not getting wet that saves you. It's not going under the water, but it's believing that saves you. 
Jesus said in Mark chapter 16, if you believe and are baptized, you will be saved. And people say, aha, believe and be baptized. But then he says, and if you don't believe, you will be condemned. That's the rest of the verse. He doesn't say if you don't believe and aren't baptized, you'll be condemned. If you don't believe, you'll be condemned. He says, the Bible says in several places, believe and be baptized and you will be saved. It also says in several places, believe and you will be saved. But it never says, be baptized and you will be saved. The baptism that saves us is the baptism that Jesus went through. It's the salvation of Noah and his family in the ark that were lifted up by the water. So we go into Christ and then the water lifts us up. It's not the water that saves us, it's believing that saves us. It says not the removal of filth from the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God that I understand that I've gone under that water, my sins have been forgiven and I now stand in front of him. And then it says through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, again, the identification. You go under the water and I identified with his death, Romans chapter six. You come up out of the water and you are now identified with his resurrection. Then finally, he says in verse 22, who has gone into heaven is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. Right now, Jesus is in heaven and angels and powers and authorities are subject to him. He was made a little lower than the angels for a while, but right now he's on the throne. And one day we'll leave this place. For some, it's sooner than what you think. For all of us, I guarantee you, it will be sooner than we thought. Life goes by so quick, it's like a vapor. James said, it's here one moment and it's gone the next. I was talking to Paul, one of our worship leaders, and his daughter just turned 17. And I told him, before you know it, she'll be married. And he said, I know, and it's crazy. And I said, that's your oldest. My youngest is already married. Life goes by so fast. Before we know it, we'll be in the presence of God. Before we know it, we'll be standing before his throne. May we say, Lord, I lived for you. Lord, I, I understood the life that I was given and I lived for you. Now, I don't know what all you can do in the battle against abortion. I do believe that supporting those who are in the front lines fighting is very important. I believe praying and crying out to God and asking God what you can do. I believe that that is important. And I believe that God will give you answers to that. And if in your life, your influence just saves a baby, then that would be awesome. I don't know what we can all do together but I know that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And I also know we feel weak, but in our weakness, he is made strong. And that by faith in our weakness, we can see things that are done. We're praying about things and kind of putting things in motion now, trying to really make a difference. I don't know in the end if it will, but I know I don't want to go into heaven if I haven't tried. The same thing is true with the preaching of the gospel, by the way. I don't want to go into heaven having the people that are closest to me not seeing Christ in me. Preaching to you guys is one thing, but if I don't live my life in front of my friends and family and the people that I'm, I'm put around, then what would it mean? And if you came to church and didn't live your life in front of your friends and family, good times and bad, joy and suffering, what would it mean? May we make it there one day and be able to say, God, I, I lived for you. I don't know if it was my best, but I lived for you. 
Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.